something happens when I call you. There's power in the name of Jesus. Every knee must bow down. And as God's people and as God's children, we can call on the name of Jesus and receive divine power. Amen. 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 Let us look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear God, we just say thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us grace and mercy. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross so that we might have a chance at everlasting life and life more abundantly. Now, Lord God, as we stand before your people, we pray that you just pour out your spirit here at Goodwill Baptist Church so we might receive a word from on high that may resonate in our spirit and we can call upon during a time of trouble and be able to lean on the name of Jesus for our strength as we deal with the adversary. I pray now, Lord God, that your word goes forth boldly. Let it go forth clearly and let your people receive your word today. Remove me now, Lord God, and receive only your power and your presence here in this place. We ask these things in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. First off, I thank God for giving me a word to share with his people. And I thank Pastor for giving me the opportunity to stand before you and share God's word. Amen. 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 Our scripture today is a very familiar passage of David and Goliath. And Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath in some form or fashion. Even people who don't spend time in church have heard of David and Goliath. We use it all the time. We use it as a metaphor of the underdog taking down the champion or somebody who is considered to be vastly superior to them. And we oftentimes, when think of this, we attribute it to the smallness of David and the giant stature of Goliath. And it makes it such an amazing story because of how small David is and how much of a giant Goliath is. And for some reason, uh, this week I was, or last week rather, I was thinking about David and Goliath. And I, I was just contemplating the story in my head and, you know, I, I thought about the fact that David, who's one of my favorite Old Testament characters, um, because he was a powerful, powerful man, he's, his story is better than any book or any movie uh, that you will ever come past. It's got everything in it from uh, war and violence and murder and uh, it, it, it's got it all. And so I was thinking about that and I was like, well, Truthfully, David was completely prepared to fight Goliath. The man had been fighting lions and bears. And truthfully, you would stand a better chance fighting Goliath than a bear. For animals are naturally more ferocious and stronger than humans. An orangutan, which is close to the weight of an average human being, 110 pounds to up to 200 pounds, is 600 times the strength we have, 600% stronger than we are, okay? So 
Comparison-wise, a bear, if it was the same size of Goliath, would be drastically stronger than Goliath. The grizzly bear, when it stands up on its hind feet, I did a lot of studying on this, is roughly, can be as tall as nine feet to 10 feet tall. That's a grizzly bear. And if you think that David was able to take a lamb cub out of the mouth of a grizzly bear, this Goliath thing really wasn't that bad. So I dug some deeper now. I said, well, well, how big was the bears during that time? And I found out that the bears, there was a, a bear called the Syrian bear, which was probably about 600 pounds. So not quite the size of a grizzly bear, but still probably about five to six feet when it stands up on its hind legs. And the lion in which he dealt with was actually more akin to a mountain lion, not the lions of the Lion King, but still quite a fierce creature. And so I dug into all this some more, and then I said, so I started looking at, so the, the, the actual size of Goliath. And, uh, oh, oh, the title, sorry. The title of today's lesson is, How Big Is Your Problem? Really? How big is your problem? Really? Let's look at Goliath here for a second. Um, we're going to focus on verses 4 through 7 in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Uh, verse 4 through 7, 11, and 33. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. So that's Goliath. That's, that's the statue of him. And that's what he's, he's carrying. And verse 11 says, And when Saul and other Israelites, Israel heard the words, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So this giant with all of this armor and these giant weapons is stomping around for 40 days challenging the Israelites, saying, come on out. Your God is nothing. You're nothing, and I'm going to defeat you. When I defeat you, you will all be my slaves for the Philistines. But if you can defeat me, we will be your slaves, which seemed like a fair business proposition. You know, only one person has to die today, and the rest of you get to be slaves. <laughs> and they were terrified of Goliath, terrified of this man, and started looking at some of these numbers, okay? And they said that this six cubits in a span was roughly equivalent to about almost 10 feet, nine feet, nine foot seven are somewhere in that range. But I did some more digging. And in fact, the earliest translations actually gave Goliath the height of four cubits in a span. Well, Pastor, why is that important? The Elder Scrolls, they have the date. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the account of Josias, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, um, attribute his height as four cubits and a span, which could be anywhere from six foot nine to seven feet. Now, don't get me wrong, that's still quite big. But 
that's not nearly as intimidating as nine feet or 10 feet. So this is a six foot seven is at this stage an average basketball guard's height, okay? Your prototypical defensive end, an overall large human being, but nothing that many of us have never actually seen in, per in, in person. We've seen people who were that tall. Amen. So, so you've, you've seen people in your real life who are about this height. Let's go a little bit further. And his he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. 5,000 shekels. And then it says, and he had greaves of brass upon his leg and a target of brass between his shoulders. And we're going to come to the spear later. So he's wearing all this armor. And they calculate that that armor roughly weighs 120 pounds to 200 pounds of armor. And you say, that's a lot. That's right. You say, that's a lot. How could he even move with such armor? But that's actually not as impressive as it sounds. The average military infantry carries anywhere from 90 to 150 pounds of gear and equipment. The average, mil the average military infantry, 90 to 150 pounds, and they march in that. People who are in the military can attest to this. So that's not even a superhuman feat. Back in the days of the knights, their armor weighed up to 200 pounds. And they were not six foot seven. So here we have a man who had been in war since his youth, and he's carrying about the weight of an average soldier. Sure, he's a little bit taller, but in reality, it's not really as impressive as we've given him credit for. How many problems in our life have we deemed bigger than they really are? How often do we be astonished and amazed at our faults and our issues and our struggles when in reality they're quite common? Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They are one to two missed checks of being, from being homeless. That's most Americans. So you're not dealing with anything out of the ordinary. Most of us can't make our bills regularly. Most of us are struggling to put food on the table. Most of us are struggling to pay SCNG and Tri-County and Dominion as much as they're robbing us. We're trying to pay these bills. It's not out of the ordinary what you're doing. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not belittling the fact that you work quite hard and do amazing things day in and day out. But when you take a moment to genuinely step back and see what you're dealing with, you, like many others, God blesses to do these things. And your problem is not as grand and severe as you actually think it really is. <clears throat> to throw my own two cents into this, I, I received some sad news this weekend in my car that I've had for almost 13 years. Is, is, is basically dead. And <laughs> the mechanic's like, and I looked at him and I said, listen, you've been working on now for about two weeks. I said, what? Seriously, is it gonna make it? He says, yeah, we could keep working on it. 
He said, but it's really not worth it to, <laughs> to keep going through your car. That's why we don't really want to dig deep into it because it's not worth it to fix it. And I understand. My car is 2007, and it's now almost 2020. And when I went to CarMax to try to sell my car, they told me it was worth $1,000. And they said, is that okay? And I almost wanted to slap her and say, absolutely, it's not okay. You can't disvalue my car like that. I, this car's a great, I was really hurt by that. And, and her audacity to even say, is that okay? And I'm like, this, I was like, I just got new tires. The tires are close. But anyway, and so I was, I was saddened about my car being dead. But then I, I, I thought about it and I said, well, truthfully, I don't even drive my car that much right now. I spend the vast majority of my time going back and forth between North Carolina and Charleston in one of the company trucks or company vans. My wife's car works just fine. We'll have that paid off in a few months and she wants a new car anyway and I can just drive that thing um, until it dies. And so I look back and I said, you know, you're, you're actually blessed. You know, you're worried about this materialistic thing that most people don't even have across the world because in America, we're special. Everybody's got a car or a junk car or somewhere. People have three and four and five junk cars in their yard. In other countries, they, they don't have cars. And, and even if you don't have a car, we have the bus system in which you can get a pass for $20 a month, $40 a month you can get a pass for the bus. Um, and so there is transportation to get from place to place. So I had to put my problem in perspective. The Israelites are not really putting their problem in perspective. Goliath has been taunting them for 40 days, marching up and down the valley, talking about just how bad he is and how nobody can do anything about it. And nobody has. In fact, he, at one point he got remotely close to the Israel army and they took back and ran. And I'm thinking, this is one man and there's an army and he gets too close and you run backwards. But okay. <laughs> and God gave me a point. He said, this story isn't so much about the size difference of David and Goliath, but in fact, it's really about the lack of faith in God. So let's go to the, the next point. There are, besides God, there are three important characters we're gonna talk about today. We've already talked about Goliath and his stature. And granted, six foot seven is nothing to sneeze at. That's a, that's a large man, but that's not out of the ordinary. Let's talk about Saul, who was the king at the time. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, talking about Saul. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and, good, and a goodly. And there was none, um, not among the children of Israel, a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any of them. In layman's term, he was good looking. This was one of the most handsome, debonair, sexy men in all of Israel. He looked good. He was tall. Tall and handsome. If he stood 
heads and shoulders above everyone else in the kingdom, the average height at the time was five foot five. He was over six feet tall. So in stature, this man was close to the size of Goliath. Goliath may have had him by a few inches, literally. So Saul, who was the king at the time, and in many times the kings led into battle, should have been able to fight Goliath. He was handsome, and he was tall. And we go over to uh, 1 Samuel, we're going to go to verse 10. We got to talk about, but there's a problem with Saul. As the young people say, he wasn't built for this. He wasn't built for this. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 21. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, this is Samuel, he's bringing everybody together to introduce Saul. To come near by their families, the family of Matri was taken and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, see ye whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Here's what's amazing to me. They're looking for who's to be king. And he's hiding. This is his formal presentation to the people. And he is hiding because he's scared. But as soon as they see him, oh, he is so handsome. And he's so tall. God bless the king. They had found themselves in this situation because they no longer wanted to follow after Samuel. And more importantly, the Lord. And Samuel was really mad about this. He was like, these people don't come against me. And God said, no, 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 it's okay. They're not really against you. They're really against me. Because they didn't want to be led by Samuel. And really, they didn't trust the Lord. And they said, we want a king like everyone else has a king. And God said, fine. I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you just what you're looking for. Some big, tall, handsome man. Here you go. And they loved him. They were excited about him. They were thrilled. They're like, look at how beautiful he is and how tall he is. But apparently nobody noticed the fact this man was cowering, hiding amongst all the equipment. And that's who's supposed to lead and govern them. <clears throat> My second point, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a book by its cover. Saul was never prepared to be king or a leader or a militaristic person. The only backstory of Saul is that he was, his father had lost some donkeys and they sent him to go look for him. And he couldn't find him. And he's about to go back home and say, well, we need to hurry on back before dad starts worrying about me too. These donkeys are gone. But instead he gets sent to meet Samuel and God anoints him as the king because he knew that's what the people were looking for. They wanted somebody that looked like all the other kings at the time. So, we are now here and we've seen this man and we just think, oh, he's, he's amazing, he's gonna be great and he, he looks so beautiful and he's so tall and he's gonna be a great leader. 
And he's got nothing to show that he is qualified for this position. He's done nothing to prove himself. And in fact, it's evident in the way he leads because time after time he tries to intimidate and scare people and threaten people and bully people. And oftentimes bullies are genuinely cowards anyway. And you can see how he tries to motivate and encourage the people of Israel to join the army by threatening them, saying, one scenario, he chops up an ox and sends them all across and he says, if you don't come join the army, this is what's gonna happen to you. And so the people are afraid and they go and follow after him because he's so tall and handsome. And God did his part. He anointed him and even put his spirit upon him. And so much so that Saul prophesied and the people were shocked by that. So God gave him his blessing. But Saul was not prepared for that position. And Saul got ahead of himself and he performed sacrifice before the Lord when he shouldn't have. And he disobeyed God when God gave him specific commandments how to deal with certain battles. And to the point where Samuel no longer showed his presence to Saul. And that means that God had left Saul because God was in the presence of him through Samuel. And not only that, but he was having these demonic fits where he would freak out and become angry and fierce and uncontrollable. And it showed the removal of God in his life and him being given over to the adversary. And so God was no longer a part of his life. And Saul, not being a fool, realized that. He realized that his power had only come from God, and that is the ultimate reason why he's so afraid of Goliath. Because he recognized that he could not do this. In his hearts of hearts, he knew he was not a warrior. He knew he was not a king. He'd only been positioned there by God, and he now recognized that God had left him. Let's go to David, who is the exact opposite of Saul. Now, first, let's look at when David was anointed. 1 Samuel 16, verse 11 and 12. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now, how many of y'all know what ruddy means? Because I had no idea what ruddy meant. But, okay, well, we all knew what ruddy meant, of course we all knew. So, I looked up ruddy, and ruddy meant of a reddish tone. And it's oftentimes used with a rugged outdoorsy look, kind of a tan if for, for say. And it means somebody has kind of been in the wilderness, they're, they're rugged, they've you know, been outside and kind of an outdoorsy kind of person. Which would make perfect sense given the character of David as we learn more later. David was outdoors. David had spent time dealing with real things. While Saul was occasionally running errands for his father, David was out in the field tending to the sheep. He had actual leadership experience. Even though he was only leading sheep, 
To lead sheep properly, you have to know your sheep. I did a sermon a while back, but great shepherds actually know their sheep by name. And when they call their sheep by name, the sheep will actually come to them. So he knew the sheep. And we find out later that he was actually out there fighting for the sheep. When we look at uh, 1 Samuel 17, and we go to verse 32. Now, backdrop now, David's come and he's brought his brothers some food because his dad said, go check on your brothers, see how they're doing. And he comes in with some food, and as he's talking to his brother, he hears Goliath going on about how big and bad he is and how he's the best and how nobody can beat him. And David's like, who is that? And they're like, that's Goliath. And the king said, if you can, you know, whoever can kill him is going to become wealthy and marry his daughter. And David's like, well, that doesn't seem that hard. I'm going to go talk to Saul. So here we are. We're picking up with David talking to Saul. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Saul, look, I got this. I'll, I'll go take care of it. There was no concern from David. Okay? David was not intimidated by Goliath. And let's hear why. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Here's the importance of that scripture. Saul did not say, you can't beat him because he's bigger than you. He simply said, he is a more experienced fighter than you. Does anybody else find that odd? That here a, uh, a teenager, who at most was probably five foot five, maybe five feet tall, is gonna go up against a guy who is anywhere from 10 feet tall to six foot seven. The reason why he doesn't bring up stature is because I'm led to believe as many other theologians that in fact he was closer to six foot seven. And had it been a huge size difference as much as we thought about it, Saul just said, he's just too big for you. He's out of your league. But Saul didn't talk about size because Saul was over six feet tall. So size was not the problem. And even Saul recognized this was a man of war. He had been built for this. This is what he does. Saul knew he wasn't built for that. He knew he wasn't trained properly to go out and fight. And his concern was, David, I don't know if you can do this. And David said unto Saul, verse 34, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and I smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. David said moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
David said, listen, I can do this. It might not look like it to you, but I am fully qualified for this position. Sure, my resume may not be what you think it should be, but I've actually got skills that directly correlate with this current situation. God can let you do his will. And not only, third point, can God have you do his will, but God will prepare you to do his will. <clears throat> Many times as Christians, we're oftentimes intimidating a situation. <clears throat> a position opens up for you. And you're like, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this. You are. You are absolutely qualified for that because God presented the opportunity to you and God has prepared you to do that opportunity. Well, I don't have a degree. I used to sell drugs, got a record, and you know, I, I, I mean, I came from a single parent home and I had to raise my brothers and sisters. So, we know that you have great time management skills because you're able to keep a whole family together, maintain inventory, keep track of the product, know the value of said product, understand supply and demand, and able to meet that and keep a good home family life. Very qualified for management. But to the average person, it may not look like that because they don't recognize the skill set that you possess. But the reality is you have been prepared for this situation. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I've got two kids and, you know, I, I, I barely finished school. But, you know, I finished school and, and, you know, I'm looking for my first job. So you graduated school, time management, were able to set priorities and deadlines and turn everything in while taking care of two kids by yourself. Mm, I'd hire you. So you were equipped for said task. But to one person, it may not look like that. We have to understand as God's people, God has prepared us to do the things that he has opened up for us to do. We cannot be intimidated by the situation or the problem we think we're experiencing because God would not have led us to this path and to this point if he were going to forsake us. David knew that God had gotten him to this point took him from the lion, took him from the bear, and he was prepared to go into battle with Goliath. Let me come to my point. Many of us, maybe not many of us, some of us will fight at the drop of a dime. Drop of a dime, we'll fight. But if you see a barking dog, you go another way. You go another way. This man took a lamb out of a hungry lion in bear's mouth. Let me show you the difference between him and Saul. Saul told his servant, the donkeys are gone, let's head back home. You know, I don't want dad to worry about us too. Saul went after one lamb and took it out of the mouth of the bear and the lion, one. One lamb, not one of the older ones, you know, who was good sheep producing or good milk producing. A lamb, a baby, said, no, 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 I've got to keep track of every last one of you, even the smallest. Risked his life to make sure that that one lamb was safe. He took care 
of the people he was managing. He saw and looked out for their best interests. From the most important to the least important, he was prepared to be in leadership and oversee the people. He had combat experience, the likes of which many of us will never know. He didn't fight with people of his own stature, same mental strength, same physical strength. He fought with an animal whose most basic instinct is hunger and self-preservation. There is no more dangerous time to bother a dog than when it's eating. In fact, people who are dog owners know when you're looking at that dog, one of the things you test for, for a puppy is, are they food aggressive? Because you don't want to deal with that later. Food aggression is hard to break. Now, we're talking about wild animals. And he said, nope, I got this. Let me go get the little lamb back. God will prepare you to do his will, I'm done. We as God's people, first and foremost, have to understand that our problems are not as big as they seem. Many of us are dealing with things that everybody else is dealing with too. The adversary wants you to believe that it's just you and that you will surely die, you will not make it, and it's all going to come crashing down. But the truth is, everybody else is dealing with that too. And even when something comes against you that is truly terrifying, like brain cancer, God said, I've cured brain cancer many a time. That's nothing new for me. I've been dealing with this. I've been healing people. I've been bringing them back from the point of death, from after the point of death. Amen? And bringing them back. Your problem is not as big as you think it is. You can't judge everything by what it looks like. Just because it looks nice doesn't mean it is nice. Just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. What well, glitters ain't always gold. And third point, God will prepare you to do what he's called you to do. God will not leave you after he's brought you to a certain point. If he's taken you to that point, he's told you and showed you a vision, he is going to keep you. He is going to take you through that thing he told you he would get you to. He will complete his work in you. And we have to be able to depend on God and know that God does not lie. And when God has told you, I've set this before you, and you don't see how it's... David was anointed to be king, and he was tending sheep still. When he went down to deal with and see his brothers, he left the field of sheep. This man was supposed to be king, but he's still tending sheep. Those don't go together. But David wasn't disheartened. He didn't say, I hate these sheep. David said, fine. I'm going to do what I've, God has said for me to do, but while I am doing that, I'm going to do what I am currently in the place of. God will move you from one thing to the next. Don't get disheartened by the current situation you're in because God has told you of something greater to come because it's going to come. It may not come when you think it should happen, but it's still going to come. And your current situation is preparing you for that which God is trying to take you to. Amen.
Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. <laughs> Truly, we must all understand that our problems, problems are not as big as our God. As Reverend Patterson reminded us, God will equip us as he